Kia welcome to church this morning. It's wonderful to have you here. Why don't you grab yourselves a seat? In a minute, we're going to be sending the kids out to their first program for the term, and we're going to pray for them. But before we do that, I just want to acknowledge and honour all the people who've bought and donated things for our market day tomorrow. This top row here is from our little um, church, St Mark's in Marshland, that's part of our wider parish. They've done the top. The All Saints stuff is underneath, yet to be packaged. But thank you to everybody who's done baking and donated plants and made preserves. So I just want to pray for our market day tomorrow, that all this effort that people have done would bear much fruit. All the proceeds are going to One Day Health in Uganda and youth work here, so we'll pray for that. And then we're going to get the kids up. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For your provision, we thank you for the generosity of all the people who've bought and baked and grown um, these things that have been donated. And we pray tomorrow that you'd bless our efforts. We pray that the rain would not come till at least four o'clock as predicted. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, it would be a day where we could raise money to support causes that are close to your heart. So I pray for everything that it would go smoothly. And I pray you'd bless those who've d- generously donated. Amen. Now, kids and Annabelle are coming up. I'm going to hand over to Annabelle. Annabelle's going to pray for the leaders and the kids as they come out. So kids, if you're brave enough, come on out. We want to pray for you before you head off to the kids program this time. Look at their faces. I can see some like, what? I think we're going to pray for the kids in their seats, Annabelle, by the look of it. The enthusiasm is overwhelming. Get the leaders up, though. Leaders up. I'm just going to quickly pray for this amazing team who joined me. Dear loving Father, I want to thank you for such a great team of people who give up their time, um, not only on a Sunday morning, but often through the week, to come and be the hands and feet of your love for the children that come to this church. I want to thank you for their skills, their talents, their insights, and as they get older, the discipleship of the younger children who come through. Pray the Lord that you would bless them and that you would speak to them through what happens on a Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, that our children can be in the care of people who know how special children are to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And I just want to pray for Annabelle, who oversees our kids' ministry. God, I want to thank you for the passion, the energy, and the dedication and devotion Annabelle has given to the children in this church for several years, and we pray your blessing upon her and her family. May the skills and wisdom that she imparts to our younger leaders come to fruit as we see our children grow up knowing that you love them, you cherish them, that, you are, that they are precious to you. So bless her and all these leaders and all our children, we pray. Amen. Special welcome this morning to baby Ted. First time here. Very cute. Proud parents, lovely to have you here. Wonderful. Okay, kids and leaders, you head out to your fantastic programs. The rest of us, let's stand as we continue to sing together.
in a world spinning fast I just want you near many things take my eyes I just want you near I want to know you I want to hear your voice I long to behold you Silence the constant noise Jesus Center my heart Center my mind Fix my eyes on you Center my heart into my mind till I'm all about you Through the world makes a boast I just want you near Pleasure's great life to take I just want you near I want to know you I want to hear your voice I long to behold you silence the constant noise Jesus to my Center my mind, fix my eyes on you. Center my heart, center my mind, till I'm all about you. Center my heart, center my mind, fix my eyes on you. Center my heart. Into my mind till I'm all about you. We're in a world spinning fast. I just want you near Many things Take my eyes I just want you near I want to know you I want to hear your voice I long to behold you Silence the constant noise Jesus to my heart to my mind Fix my eyes on you to my heart to my mind Till I'm all about you to my heart Center my mind, fix my eyes on you. Center my heart, 
Child of God, yes, I am. 
yourselves a seat. So now the kids have gone out. It's like when the tide goes out. There's this empty beach. <laughs> beach of empty chairs. Lovely to have you here if you weren't here a bit earlier. Um, today we are continuing along um, in our path, journeying through the book of Luke, where Luke records the story and the life of Jesus. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 18, where Jesus tells a story and gives a a warning for uh, those listening to him. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's an interesting theme that continues through Luke, where Luke looks at the inclusion Jesus gives to those on the margins, even people that others despised. And I think that that is a challenge for us, for today, at the moment, we have these cultural wars emerging where we, you know, are being pitted one against the other. You disagree with me on this topic, you know, don't like you anymore, not going to speak to you, block you on Facebook, whatever it is that you're going to do. And Jesus has this invitation. The people that you despise are not overlooked or unseen by God. And how are we to respond to these people How are we to respond to God ourselves? There's this temptation to be proud of our own achievements. It was kind of known that this was a common way to pray 
for the Jewish religious leaders to almost check off before God. You know, I'm coming before God. I'm just going to remind you, God, of how awesome I am. So, you know, if you're looking for anyone to bless today, pick me, because these are all the ways that I'm amazing, and also I'm not like those dirty rotters over there. Um, And yet here's this problem that emerges that we see throughout history that Christians or, sorry, religious people end up despising or looking down on people that they don't think are as good as themselves. Brandon Walsh makes, Rencher makes this comment. What the Lord accepts is a heart of humility, the kind of heart found in those who have felt the scorn of pride, the outcast, the judged, misfits, sinners. There is no room for human pride in God's house. I think one of the um, ways that this has been captured in contemporary culture is actually in the story written by Victor Hugo who wrote Les Mis, but this was um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, for some reason, known not only to themselves, this was a story that Disney thought would be good to turn into a children's classic. If you know the story of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's got some pretty dark and uh, distressing themes in it, but here is... Uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame, and we've got the hunchback himself who's been excluded and outcast, but then also in this image we see Esmeralda the Gypsy, a group of people despised, looked down on, and in this point in the story, hunted down and accused, and Esmeralda goes and takes sanctuary in the cathedral, which is an ancient concept that when you go into a church, No one can come in and get you. It's a safe space. So she runs and hides in a church. And in this moment, she prays. But because it's a Disney film, film, it's a song. But the the words of the prayer are quite profound. And I think capture this theme of the passage today. And she says this, I don't know if you can hear me or if you are even there. I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you. Still, I see your face and wonder, were you once an outcast too? And as she's praying, there's other religious people that are in this huge cathedral, and they're also praying, and they come in with their prayers. I ask for wealth. I ask for fame. I ask for glory to shine on my name. I ask for love I can possess. I ask for God and his angels to bless me. And back to Esmeralda, I ask for nothing. I can get by, but I know so many less lucky than I. Please help my people, the poor and downtrod. I thought we all were the children of God. God help the outcasts children of God. And here, as only Victor Hugo can, he captures this incredible truth of the story of the Bible, that God looks and sees the outcast, those that have lost their way, and offers grace and love and forgiveness and hope and a new purpose again. And yet somehow, throughout history, religious people forget this, and they lose sight. Hundreds of years before Jesus gets up and tells this parable, to challenge people, there was a prophet called Joel, 
who spoke to the Israelites and gave them warnings and challenges, but he also gave them a promise of what was to come. And he wrote these words or spoke them, and they were recorded. Where God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves, in those days I'll pour out my spirit. Here is the very presence of God being promised to all people, men and women, young and old, slave and free. Every person is able to receive the hope and promise of God's presence with them. Here is the prophet Joel. Now, I've had a cold this week, and so my voice is a little croaky, so I'm going to get you guys to do some of the talking for me. But what you need to do is just swing around and find someone you can chat to. And this is a little bit of an extra for experts question to start off with. This passage from Joel was quoted by someone later in the Bible in the New Testament Do you know who it was and when they quoted it? So turn around. You can just say to your person, nope. It's my first time here. Don't even know what this is about. Or see if they know. When was this quoted? Do we have any takers? Does anyone think they know where this was? Gwenda. Well done. Straight to the top of the class. Gwenda identifies Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, at Pentecost. This is the time when the Holy Spirit is poured out on everyone, gets up to explain. This is what's going on, people. You're wondering, what is this that's happening? And he says this. This is what's going on. And here is this promise. This is God's intention, his very presence with us. Now, this week, and I don't know whether it was because I had a cold, I became slightly obsessive about one small part of the story. Now, bear with me. Some of you may um, have a brain that works like mine. You'll be like, that's amazing. And others of you will be like, whoa, Carol. (laughs) Sorry about that. Anyway, in um, in Acts, I'm going to put it up and read it to you. There's... There's one significant word difference, and it's partly because Acts is recorded in Greek and this is recorded in Hebrew, but I think it's really profound, and by obsessing over this one wee word this week, it really made me, I think, aware of how much more profound this is. So here's the Joel one. See if you can memorize it, because you're about to play the game of spot the difference. One small word. Now, just to let you know, The grammar has changed slightly. Some of the words are in different places. That's not the difference. The difference is one wee tiny word that I think makes quite a profound difference to what this means. So here's Joel. Now here's Acts. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit. Turn to your neighbour. Have you spotted it? What's the difference? Do we have anyone who wants to punt? Anyone want to guess what it, what it what is? What is the difference? Yes, there we go. That's the, the corner. So here we say, this is Acts, even upon my slaves, both men and women, and this is even on the, the slaves. Now, if you are a conquering um, army and you go to war and you bring home your spoils of war, which is slaves... They are a different ethnicity to you. So these slaves are a different people group, the most oppressed you can find. That's a very clear description of people on the absolute margins. If you think of God saying, my slaves, which in most English translations is softened, I talked about this the other week, to my servants, what you get is quite a different picture. These are God's people. Almost a nice term. On my people, I'm going to pour out my spirit. So I began to wonder, like, which one is correct? How has this been translated? Is Joel right in saying it's for all people? Is Peter right, or Luke recording Peter in Acts, to say it's only on God's people? Now, if you know me, you can probably guess which one I'm wanting it to be. But I've been curious. I don't just want to say this. So I went back, just out of curiosity, started reading a lot of different versions. This guy is John Wycliffe. He was the first man ever to translate the Bible into English in the 1300s. Before that, it was in Latin, and most people couldn't read it. Just a few people got trained to read Latin. So people hadn't read the Bible for themselves. There's this book out there. He decided to translate it into English. Here is his, the first ever English translation of this. Again, turn to your neighbor. <laughs> turn to your neighbor, see if you can read it. Now, if you have ever felt that your spelling isn't up to scratch, that you have invented new and creative spellings, you are in good company. English has changed through history. I was fascinated. I as a Y, these and U's are swapped around the other way. It's quite, it's, as well as obviously some of the strange things like daughters. But the, the thing I was kind of initially sad to discover is he has my servants as well. But then I discovered he didn't actually interpret it from the Hebrew. He just got the Latin, which I think in turn had been interpreted from the Greek, which had been interpreted from the Hebrew. So I'm like, this is a bit shaky. 
how good this is. This is now the first ever translation of Joel from the Hebrew and English 200 years later. And see, so it's getting a lot more um, like ours, but still the V's and the U's, but there it is, these servants. So in the original Hebrew, and if you now go and look at it, there is the servants, the servants in Hebrew. I'm fascinated that by the time it's being quoted much later, it's become my servants. But part of that could be because of the way Greek is structured and how you structure pronouns and verbs and all that kind of stuff. It may be. But it is this fascinating thing that I think matters. Matters because it describes how we understand God. Is God's presence for all people or just for the religious people? And this is the trap that the Pharisees had walked into. And this is the trap in the hunchback of Notre Dame where the religious people say, God's presence is for religious people, not for all people. John Wycliffe is an interesting man and an interesting story. He decided that people should read the Bible in their own language and take for themselves what that meant. I think it's hard to comprehend what that would be like. Nobody except the few religious people had ever read the Bible themselves. They had no idea really what was in it, what it contained, the content. It was all a bit of confusion to them. And how do you think the religious leaders responded to this innovation? With joy and singing? Well done. You've translated the Bible. John Wycliffe was hunted down, tormented until he died early, very unwell. But they decided, the religious leaders, this wasn't enough. As his influence spread uh, through England, as his Bible was copied, they decided they'd make a point and they dug up his bones and they burnt them and threw the ashes into the river swift. But the people said, by throwing them into the river, their influence will flow throughout England and then they'll reach the ocean and his influence will flow throughout the whole world. But here is this battle that then goes on in England, and this is what the religious leaders said of the translation. By this translation, the scriptures have become vulgar. They are more available to lay and even to women who can read than they were to learned scholars who have a high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine. Hooray! <laughs> Here's this really bizarre pattern that goes on and on in history, where religious people are like, we've got God's presence, and we're going to hang on to it and keep it for themselves and trust then, I think, in their own intelligence, their own righteousness, their own, you know, pride in what they think is good. John Wycliffe wrote this. Trust wholly in Christ. Rely altogether on his sufferings. Beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by Jesus' righteousness. I think we can begin to think that 
God's love is limited, like a pie that's only got eight pieces, and not understand that it is infinite, never ending. And by acknowledging that God loves all people, we do not have to miss out on that love. One of the first followers of Paul wrote this, having been converted almost, he was a Pharisee who persecuted the Christians. And then he himself decided to follow Jesus. And this is what he realizes, writing to the Christians in Ephesus. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. God's love is not limited to the people who live right, who do right, who say the right things. God has this infinite abundance of love that he wants to share and calls us to share. So as I finish, I want to spend some time with some questions on the screen for you to ponder, to reflect on, to mull over and think of in your own life. Coming from the story we've heard, what are my own versions of the Pharisees' prayer? So he stood in the temple and thanked God that he wasn't like those people and drew to God's attention all the ways that he was good. Who am I secretly grateful not to be like? Who do we ponder in the quiet of our own mind and think, at least I'm not like them? And finally, do I understand how wide and how deep God's love for every person is? Let's pray and then we're going to have some quiet just for you to mull over those questions. God, you challenge us through the words of Jesus to look at our own hearts. Are we proud? Have we become arrogant? Have we decided we are better than other people? Have we imagined that you love us more if we try in our own strength to be good? Remind us of your incredible love. Remind us that we don't need to strive. That you don't forget us. That we don't need to prove ourselves to you. Come and challenge us. Speak to us, we pray.